Hello and welcome everyone to the Almost Awesome Podcast. I am your host, Tanner Rain Hirsch, and I'm going to keep it nice, short, and sweet today, just like myself. And I'm going to try and keep this as a short review, but today I am going to be giving my review for Season 3 of Daredevil. Now, I just started this podcast, so I don't have reviews of Seasons 1 and Seasons 2 of Daredevil. So I'm going to give it like a just a quick overview of how those seasons are, and then we're going to get into uh, just a little bit of season three, overall impressions, themes I really liked, and what I think doesn't work for the show. So season one, and this is sort of the heart of what Daredevil is about. Daredevil, if you don't know, is based on the Marvel Comics superhero of the same name that was created by Stan Lee. Um, and very popular hero. They've kept trying to adapt him in many different mediums. Most famously, the Ben Affleck version uh, that was done in the early 2000s. And that one was not well received by fans. I think people have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder with Be- Batfleck. Um, <laughs> he doesn't. He gets a lot of grief from time to time with some of his roles. Um, but besides that, Daredevil is this really interesting character because, well, there's a real duality to him. He is this, he's blinded as a child by this chemical compound, and it not, it blinds him, but it enhances his other senses by comic book logic. So in the comics, this was portrayed as having a radar-type sense, like this, or sonar, like bats use. And eventually, over time in the comics, it evolved to his other senses, like his sense of smell, his sense of touch, sense of taste. They've all been similar, similarly bleh, enhanced by this radioactive compound. And that was kind of the story with a lot of characters Stanley helped create. A lot of them were just doused with radioactive materials and then became superheroes instead of just dying horribly. But the other interesting thing about Daredevil, actually two things, is that his father is killed and he is orphaned at a very young age and is he grows up in an orphanage uh, run by these nuns and priests and so he grows up to be Catholic and he also... Uh, goes to school and becomes a lawyer. But he seeks justice by day as a lawyer and a justice by night as a vigilante. So not only does he believe in the law, he do believes he does believe that there is limits to the law. But another thing in the comics and what the show tries to introduce and to explore is that Matt Murdock, Daredevil, grows up very angry, and he channels his anger through fighting. And his super senses helps him overcome a lot of opponents. So he becomes superhuman in a sense. He becomes a little bit superior, and he takes that out on people that he thinks is deserving to kind of make up for the fact that he lost his father, to make up for the fact that he is blind. So that is a driving force that is Matt Murdock's character. 
something that is very much introduced and explored in season one of Daredevil, where he's going around just beating up criminals um, until his friends learn the truth about him. And it kind of puts him at odds. Um, most famously with his law partner and best friend, Foggy Nelson, who is starts off as kind of like a kind of a uh, lawyer who he wants to do the right thing. He wants to uh, help people, but he's also kind of got a greedy streak. And he doesn't have a whole lot of confidence in his own lawyer abilities. And over the course of season one, we see they do make an effective team, but Matt's continued actions as a vigilante kind of puts them at odds. Um, and then there is Matt Murdock's other relationship, which is the character of Karen Page, who in the comics is only just a secretary, but has evolved more in the show as a journalist. Uh, an investigative journalist, uh, which fits really well with her character because she is someone who has a dark past and is very committed to finding the truth. She doesn't like it when things get swept under the rug. She doesn't like it when people are just messed with and no one knows about it. So she's very much about um, bringing things to light. And we learn a little bit why that is in this latest season. So that is our cast of characters that we mostly concerned with. Season one is very generic, um, but it kept that kind of style, this gritty vigilante show, uh, kind of crime drama. And it stuck to that. It introduced the character of Wilson Fisk as the Kingpin, another famous comic book character who is played brilliantly by Vincent D'Onofrio as this kind of seemingly timid and kind of introvert, maybe a little bit autistic man. Um, but then you soon realize he's very cold, calculating. He's very, uh, very manipulative. Um, and very prone to violent outbursts, uh, which makes him very entertaining to watch. And that was the crux of the first season, was these three characters all being somewhat affected by Wilson Fisk, who is taking over crime in New York, and all three of them kind of work together in their own ways as a lawyer, as a vigilante, as an investigative journalist to bring Wilson Fisk down by the end of season one. Now, season two was a little bit hard for fans to like because there was a problem with season two. Season two kind of diverted its storylines. And what I mean by this is that they introduced the Punisher, a popular Marvel character uh, from the comics, they introduced him in the first half of season one, and he was kind of the central antagonist for a while. And half of season one was just Daredevil tracking down the Punisher and then being kind of at odds at their different vigilante styles, which made it very entertaining to watch. 
and raised a lot of good questions and a lot of challenging viewpoints against Daredevil. But then, halfway through season two, they introduce The Hand, uh, Marvel villains from the comics. They're basically just a weird ninja doomsday cult that can bring people back from the dead to become more ninjas. But they're really just used as generic ninjas for Matt Murdock to fight from time to time. They don't really get a lot of developments. And in that season, they really, really tried to make him into this Illuminati-level conspiracy behind everything. So it was really weird. And it's one of those things in fiction that I'm kind of sick of, where an evil organization is introduced and... They've seemingly been around for like centuries or thousands of years of human history. And they say it's like this organization was responsible for Pompeii and Chernobyl being destroyed. Or they were behind 9-11. It's always like stuff like that that's always like one organization that's always responsible for it. And that just rings as unrealistic to me because that just seems like you're taking away like what actually happened in history and things and other people's choices and agendas. So it's kind of hollow to just to say that's all just one organization. And it's kind of like, eh, but comic books do it all the time. A lot of uh, TV shows and movies do it all the time. So, and it's something I'm a little sick of, but uh, the hand knee or Marvel's Netflix shows kind of needed their own uh, Hydra, like in the Marvel movies. They kind of needed their own little thing that they could be like, these are the main bad guys and like antagonists that could carry over to different shows. And that was sort of the problem with season two. While we were having this great A-plot with Frank Castle and Matt Murdock just going at it, Then they introduced the hand, and then they introduced Elektra, Matt's old girlfriend, who was also super into killing people. Um, And she's an assassin working for this other secret organization that fights the hand. So it was just all a little... It got really into mystic stuff and, and sort of kind of a gritty crime thriller show. So the genres were getting a little bit mixed up. Um, I don't think it ruined season two, but it was kind of jarring for a lot of people. And there's a lot of reasons why season two didn't work as well, but that's a topic for another video. What matters here is that season three completely does away with the hand, partly because most of the stuff with the hand was dealt with in the miniseries, The Defenders, that Marvel Netflix had. Uh, the team up with Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Iron Fist, and Luke Cage. Um, and I thought The Defenders was pretty good. Uh, but that goes into a whole different things about what people don't like about those shows, particularly Iron Fist. Um, and since Iron Fist and Luke Cage have been canceled... Uh, It kind of goes to show that with season two of Daredevil, Iron Fist to show, a little bit of Luke Cage and the Defenders, a lot of stuff wasn't working with the Marvel shows. And so 
Defenders isn't coming back. Luke Cage was just canceled, surprisingly, even though a lot of people liked it. And Iron Fist also got canceled. So there was a lot of pressure for season three to be good. And for all intents and purposes, it really is good because it doubles down on the gritty crime thriller stuff. It focuses on the Kingpin being the main villain again, him uh, gaining more power and getting out of prison. And that is the central plot to the show, that the Kingpin is out and our heroes need to stop him. And there's no diverging from the plot. Everything goes into how does everything relate to Wilson Fisk. So they refocus an entire season on that. So that worked for its most part. Now, in season one of Daredevil, Netflix sort of has this problem with not adhering to an episodic structure. Everything is just kind of one continuous story. And that's fine for a miniseries sometimes. But the problem is, is that when things carry over to different episodes, you're then dealing with different directors, different writers for each episode. Instead of trying to keep a writer and director keeping things self-contained in one episode and then having the showrunner link everything else. So... Now, Netflix makes it shows like that because they're making it bingeable for you to watch all at once. And so that works for the most part, but there's some other problems with it because you can't just have standalone episodes. And I think that's really what the Netflix Marvel shows and what a lot of Netflix shows are missing. But besides from that, it does a great job of separating the characters, spending time with these characters that I mentioned, Matt Murdock, Karen, Foggy, and the Kingpin, spending time away from each other, uh, especially Karen, Foggy, and Matt, spending time away from each other to kind of develop them as their own characters. Uh, because for the longest time, we never delved into Karen's dark past, where she apparently killed someone, shot someone, her brother was probably dead, um, and she also killed the Kingpin's right-hand man in season one, and that just never got resolved for an entire season of Daredevil. Like, she never revealed that, and she was keeping that in, and it was something she was having to deal with while also dealing with these, her kind of petty spats she'd be having with Matt Murdock when they were in a relationship because he never revealed her identity or his identity to her. So that was just kind of annoying in season two. And also Foggy Nelson was getting really like greedy and self-centered in season two. Like he wanted to be like he couldn't work with Matt because he thought it was hypocritical for him to be a lawyer and a vigilante at the same time. And it also put a him and his friends in danger of being prosecuted by the law, which is legitimate concerns when you have someone who's your law partner who's also breaking the law and putting you and your friends in danger. 
But Foggy would also get annoying because he would t be telling Matt, it's like, Matt, you can't be doing this or let someone else do it. Let the cops do this. And he would be literally fighting ninjas that are trying to destroy the city. And Foggy would be like, Matt, you don't have to do this. It's like, shut the fuck up, Foggy. He's dealing with immortal ninjas. This is a dumb, weird situation, but they're still killing people, and you have someone who can fight them. It's like, get your head out of your ass. And that was becoming really annoying for both his character and Karen's. They were becoming self-centered and hating Matt for his choices. Now, Matt Murdock, on the other hand, was having his own problems with isolating himself. And that's mainly a problem for his character, is that he pushes people away, he isolates himself, he takes on the next big threats uh, with just his hands, and he just further isolates himself, and he doesn't realize that it's causing him major depression. Um, and that's one of the signs of depression. You know, isolating yourself, like not taking enjoyment or doing the things that you used to do, creating very self-destructive habits. Uh, him with fighting, uh, guys getting beat up and, and never letting himself heal. And that really comes into a uh, its own this season, where Matt Murdock, after the Defenders, he got injured really bad, becomes partially deaf and can no longer see using his senses the way he used to so he be kind of comes re traumatized re crippled in a sense like he was as a child he doesn't know how to adapt and he's also not letting himself heal which was kind of hinted at at season two when he gets shot in the head by the punisher and it causes him to probably have a concussion that makes him go deaf for a while. So this just lasts a while longer. But he spends a couple episodes, like, regaining his composure, healing a little bit, kind of, like, building himself back up. Uh, and he eventually, eventually learns that he can still use his senses in other ways. And he adapts. And then he begins fighting criminals again. But this time, like I said, it's more self-destructive. He is kind of looking to die. He thinks he's also having this crisis of faith. So he thinks he's done everything in the name of God and justice. And God took something away from him again. So he feels cheated. He feels unloved. He feels abandoned. Like everyone else in his life abandoned him. Like his father abandoning, abandoning him to fight a match that he was supposed to lose because he was paid by some mobsters. But he goes through the fight, he beats the guy, he wins all this money and gives it to him, and then he ends up dead. And Matt would rather have his father back than any amount of money. He would have rather had his mother when he was growing up. And he didn't know who his mother was. Little did he know that his mother was actually... The same nun who raised him in the orphanage after his father died. Sister Maggie, who becomes a major character this season. Who has a lot of fun interactions with Matt. She becomes like, this just kind of cynical. It's like, oh yeah, you think you got it bad? Or 
just a lot of a lot of fun interactions where she's just kind of giving Matt that kind of motherly uh, tone without revealing that she's her mother or she's his mother. Now, they reveal that the reason she wasn't there was that she was supposed to take her vows and become a nun, but she began a relationship with Matt Murdock. She was very attracted to him. Um, probably just got caught up in the moment. She got pregnant and had Matt. And as a result of that, she developed postpartum uh, depression and wasn't taking care of the baby. So she had to go back uh, to the church with Father Lanton, who's another character that Daredevil goes to since he was a child for a confession and was kind of his spiritual guide. But Father Lanton never revealed who his mother was. And eventually, uh, Matt Murdock learns that Maggie is his mother and realizes that Father Lanton kept that from him. And so it creates this moment where he realizes these two people that are kind of guiding him spiritually kind of betrayed their own values in lying to him and making him think he was alone in the world and thinking like everything bad in his life could have been avoided if they had just been truthful to him. So he becomes very resentful, but he also starts to realize what compromising on your ideals does to you. You become a different person. You kind of destroy who you are and you can't come back from it. This goes into his feelings of wanting to kill the kingpin, thinking that there's no other way to stop him, thinking that the law has failed him, God has failed him. So nothing can stop the kingpin unless Matt Murdock can murder him. And he is not murdered, despite the fact that there was a the ninja guy named Nobu in the first season that he kind of set on fire. Now, he was one of them immortal ninjas, so he came back. But then Matt, without really knowing that, kind of like throws him off a building like two times. That would have seemingly killed him. But I guess that doesn't count because he's an immortal ninja, but whatever. My point is if I have a point, is that immortal ninjas are stupid. <laughs> but, um, over time, Matt Murdock realizes that, you know, he can't just be very inward anymore. He has to let people in, and he sort of has to rescue his friends from time to time, and he lets them back in. Foggy this season realizes that he's kind of a sellout. He's not doing what he loved to do, which was helping people. He's just kind of a big-time lawyer now. So he feels like he isn't doing enough. So he takes on this campaign to become the DA to lock Fisk, Fisk away. But he's also at the same time realizing when he finds out that Matt Murdock is still alive... He tries to connect with him again. He tries to save him. And finally, he's taken his head out of his ass and realized, like, oh, Matt actually does a lot of good. He doesn't say that, but he realizes he's necessary. Not the killing part. He's very much against Matt killing people. 
But ironically, Matt not killing the Kingpin, his voice of reason becomes Karen. Later on in the season, Father Lantern, spoiler alert, uh, is murdered by the new antagonist, Benjamin Poindexter, who is an FBI agent. And this kind of gets Matt out of his stupor. But also Karen kind of reveals, both to Matt and in one episode, what she went through in her life. Her family used to own a diner, uh, but it was failing after her mother died, who didn't really want to be running that diner with her family. She just wanted to get out of this, like, really crummy town. But she died. Karen becomes a drug dealer and kind of gets a drug habit herself. And gets a kind of shitty boyfriend who's just kind of using her. And after a confrontation between her, her boyfriend, and her brother, she has to shoot her boyfriend in self-defense and rides off in a truck with her brother who's been beaten near to death. Now, Karen is intoxicated and ends up getting into a car crash that kills her brother. It gets swept under the rug by the local town sheriff, um, who says, like, Karen wasn't there, and her father disowns her for what she did. So this kind of informs us of why Karen kind of doesn't like it when things get swept under the rug, because it's not true, and people need to be punished for what they did, including her. On some level, she believes she needs to be punished she needs to suffer. And yet, and she has murdered someone. And then she finally tells that to Foggy and then to Matt. Finally letting it go. Finally feeling like she can forgive herself for what she did. So not only does her character grow, but Matt realizes just what that can do to you on the inside without realizing it. And it also leads to one of the great moments, sorry, this season with a confrontation between Karen and the Kingpin where she goes to kind of goat him into attacking her on camera so he could get sent to jail. And it leads to this great exchange between the two where she's just not intimidated by him as well. Or, sorry, at all. And it's awesome because she's like, it's like, you know, Wilson, can I call you Wilson? I feel like we've known each other for that long. It's like, and then she admits to murdering Wesley, like someone he felt was a brother to him. And he, of course, almost loses it. But then Foggy comes in at the last minute to save her. But that was a great con confrontation just a just a battle of words and wits um another great thing from the season and i think it was this scene that's actually saved now it hasn't been confirmed yet we're not sure whether or not daredevil is going to come back for season four one of the reasons that speculated that Luke Cage and Iron Fist were canceled was the decrease in social media activity, like people talking about the season. Um, 
And since we can't see what ratings look like for Netflix as far as, like, how their shows are doing, like, the same way we can for TV with, like, Nielsen ratings and things like that, what we can judge is that audience response on social media was real was a lot lower for season two of Iron Fist and Luke Cage compared to their first seasons. So that could have been a major reason why they were actually canceled. Now, season three of Daredevil had one episode in episode four where they had one of their one-shot action scenes that they have, like, every season. Season one, everyone remembers it. It's that hallway scene that's all one-shot. It's in episode two where Matt Murdock's just tired and beaten, but he's still beating up all these guys. He's throwing TVs. Doors are, like breaking down but getting stuck in the hallway and people are jumping over it and he's just like kind of just going off the walls and uh just in this tired fashion just to save this guy but he does it and it's awesome season two had a escalated scene in episode three where matt murdoch after confronting the punisher in some great scenes has knocked him out has him over his shoulder, taking an elevator down, but a bunch of bikers show up and so and take this one guy almost hostage. So Matt Murdock has to put the Punisher down in an elevator, go save the old man. At this point, he's got a chain because he was chained up to a roof. He's got a chain taped to one hand, a gun with no bullets uh, taped to the other. He's... In his Daredevil outfit, which gives him some protection. But he's got this weird handicap now. That's also not a handicap. Because he can use the chain as a whip and the gun as a bludgeon weapon. But it's still kind of a handicap. And so that leads to another cool action scene. uh, That's all one shot. This season had an 11 minute Nearly 12 minutes, one-shot scene in a prison. And what makes this scene great is that Matt Murdock is not in his Daredevil outfits. He's posing as a lawyer, and he's been attacked in a prison. The Kingpin calls him, tells him that he's watching, so he realizes that he's being recorded. So... It, and it's great acting done by Charlie Cox because he's conveying, he hears doors unlocking. So he you realize it in his facial expressions like, oh no, I'm going to have to fight these guys. It's like, oh no, he he's revealing himself as Daredevil to the Kingpin. So even though he start, we know that he can take these guys, it's still kind of a loss. But he beats up a lot of prisoners, and while I can tell there's no hidden cuts in the scene, I can tell when there's, uh, like, they switch out Charlie Cox for a stunt double, because there are times when he goes around a corner, then comes out, like, being thrown by somebody. Um, So that's clearly a stunt double, because his face is being hidden, or his arms are, like, over his head, like, in pain or something. Uh, So I can't tell when they switch him out for a stunt double. But even noticing that, it's still an awesome scene because 
the drama is very real. Or uh, it's portrayed very real, I should say. Um, and But the scene keeps going. It's still one shot. Even when you think the fighting is done, he sees riot cops descending down the hallway. And he's like, I've been attacked, I've been attacked. And he's like, get, a, get down on the ground. Uh, and then they take out their nightclubs, uh, nightsticks, whatever. They're nightclubs, they're nightclub owners. Um, but they start getting closer and closer to him. And you realize at the same time as Matt Murdock, like, oh, they're also here to kill me. So then he has to fight them. Then prisoners are grabbing from him from their cages. They're setting things on fire. It's getting out of hand. He's taken hostage by some prisoners. He learn. He exchanges dialogue, learns information that the kingpin is manipulating the FBI into kind of giving him more. Like the kingpin is selling out a bunch of crime families, but he's doing that so he can offer them protection. Uh, from the FBI. He's sort of becoming like Whitey Bulger back in the 70s and 80s. No, just the 70s. Without being, you know, old and dead now. Um, so, but he's learning all of this information and it's still one continuous shot. So not only do they have to memorize these fight choreographs, but they also have to remember blocking for dialogue scenes. They have to remember dialogue. Things were so perfectly timed that it was just so mesmerizing to watch. Um, and remembering blocking and remembering lines for 11 minutes isn't impossible for actors to do. I mean, theater actors do it all the time. But it's just surprising to see uh, television actors go to such extremes, television crews, to do the same. And a lot of people have talked about that scene on social media and, like, on YouTube and things like that. People have dissected it. People have talked to the creators about it. So I think that is what's going to save Daredevil from being canceled because uh, good filmmaking can go a long way. So... Overall, this season was really great. It really got back to what people loved about season one. Um, giving Matt, Karen, and Foggy time alone to like work on their own selves before helping each other has helped them grow and develop in their relationship. So now that they know everything about each other, they've kind of gone through these rough patches. By the end of the season, they've decided to get back together, start their own law firm again, make Karen a partner slash investigator for their law firm. How does that work? I don't know, but they're just... I'm sorry, they're not... They're not just about it. I'm so sorry. Um, they're jazzed about it. Um, but it's just... But it creates this great scene where now it feels like Everything's on the table. They know everything about each other, and their their bond is stronger because of it. And I want to talk a little bit about uh, the FBI agents, like uh, Special Agent Nadim in the show. He was really great. You really see how people can be... He's manipulated by the kingpin 
financially. So he becomes desperate enough to take any deal the king that Fisk gives him. And he sort of becomes a pawn in his game. And he realizes like how he's manipulated like the entire FBI and so many people into doing his bidding by by going after their loved ones uh, financially. And his character is kind of used to represent that, how normal people's families can just become manipulated and corrupt out of desperation. And his acting was great, and I hope that actor goes to do a lot of great things. And then, of course, there's the new antagonist of Ben Poindexter, who is actually Bullseye from the comics, a very famous Marvel villain, uh, famously betrayed by Colin Farrell in the same Ben Affleck Daredevil movie, where he's just this weird, kooky Irish assassin with... He kind of started the whole scars on your face thing before Heath Ledger as the Joker did, but his was a scar of a bullseye on his forehead. Just remember... I. I know this about the character, but just saying it out loud is so stupid. Um, but in this show, they really do focus on Bullseye's psychopathic nature. And they explore psychotic behavior uh, a lot better than most movies or TV shows would. Instead of just writing them off as, like, evil people, Benjamin Poindexter, they make it a point that, you know, psychopaths can't form empathy and they can't feel emotions for other people. Now, so they don't feel remorse if they harm somebody or even if they kill somebody, which, at a young age, Ben Poindexter does. But his therapist teaches him ways that he can act empathetic to people. And developing tips and tricks for him to live his everyday life, keeping to a rigid structure, um, and things like that. But he all, but she also tells him that he needs a north star for his moral compass. Basically, someone besides her, because she later dies, that can help guide him morally. And that leads to a relationship, not really a relationship, but him kind of stalking this one woman that he's become infatuated with. Not romantically or sexually, which I guess, no, it's not better. But he still stalks this woman and kind of pleads with her and pressures her to kind of guide him, which she accepts doing, and he doesn't threaten her at all, um, which was good. But she is later killed by the kingpin in order for him to, because he learns that about his therapy sessions, like he craves for someone to guide him morally. So he kills this girl so he can become his North Star for his moral compass. And he leads him to kill people dressed up as Daredevil to kind of discredit Daredevil. Uh, and to kind of say, it's like, I'm not the bad guy, Daredevil's the bad guy. Um, and so, as Dex gets more and more out of control, uh, he soon realizes that the Kingpin killed 
his lady friend, uh, Matt Murdock reveals this to him because he's trying to create an opening for which he can go in and kill the Kingpin. And it leads to this awesome kind of three-way fight between the Kingpin, Poindexter, and Daredevil. And it's an awesome fight scene where they're all kind of using their own strengths, like the Kingpin's like rage and his strength, uh, Daredevil's like super senses. He even is like using makeshift uh, like little sticks to deflect stuff at one point, using bullseyes like ability to throw anything at anybody and kill them with it. Um, his like super accuracy. So it's a great fight scene. Bullseye gets paralyzed by the Kingpin, and the Kingpin finally gets beaten down by Daredevil. But Matt decides not to kill him at the last second. Even though his friends have been trying to tell him not to do it, you kind of... they were he, he was still trying to go and kill him, even when they were trying to convince him not to. And you kind of thought he would... But at the last second, and this leads to kind of what I've always wanted to see in a superhero thing, where the superhero has let it become really personal. Matt Murdock has envisioned talking to the Kingpin, uh, murdering him. Um, but they really didn't have a lot of scenes together. So he's been kind of visualizing this confrontation between the Kingpin finally beating him. And so you realize that it's become very personal for Matt. More personal than a lot of superhero stuff gets. Um, because superheroes aren't meant to be petty or selfish. They're meant to be selfless. They're saying, it's like, I'm doing this for the right thing. Um, and you realize Matt's not really doing it because it's the right thing. It's really more for him. Because last time he beat him, it was for the city. This time when he beat him... It was like, it's like Rocky or Creed, where he proved he could go the distance. Um, but he actually does beat the Kingpin, and he decides, like, no, you are not going to destroy who I am. You are going to rot in jail. You are never going to have your wife again. Because, and if you try to go after my friends, I'm going to reveal that your wife got in on your criminal activities, and I can prove it. I'm trying not to spoil too much. Um, so, he's saying, it's like, you will know that the city rejected you. It beats you. I beat you. And he screams that, and it's awesome. And I'm just like, whoa! So, it's this really cathartic moment for Matt, because... Like I said, it's like a boxing match in Rocky or Creed where he went the distance, he proved that he could do it, but he didn't compromise on who he was. He didn't sink to that level. So proving that he is better than the Kingpin and Bullseye. They don't call him Bullseye on the show, but I'm just saying that because... That's who he is. They try not to call him that, like in the cast lists when the season was announced and all the characters were announced. But as soon as they said sniper with mental issues, it's like, oh, yeah, he's totally bullseye. You're not fooling anyone. But it was a great confrontation, and 
once Matt has a funeral service for Father Father Lanton, who still died, uh, didn't come back. <laughs> um, that's when he kind of refers to Father Lanton as a man without fear. Um, as far as other things, and it's like, oh, that's a reference to what you're called in the comics. I see what you did there. But it leads Matt to kind of forgive Father Lanton for lying to him and also forgiving his mother for lying to him and realizing that, yes, his life might have been different if she was there, but if she was, he might have not done the things that he's done and saved all the people that he has because he hasn't killed anybody. People did die, but it wasn't his fault. And he has saved a bunch of lives. So he kind of accepts that. He kind of regains his faith and starts rebuilding his relationship with his mother, which is a very beautiful moment. So overall, this season was great. Very personal. Dealing with forgiveness, isolation, um, suicidal thoughts, um... Just all these like really dark emotions, but it comes out where everyone has worked through them and has become stronger for it. And that made it really enjoyable. Um, it would be sad if it doesn't get renewed for a season four, but I would feel kind of content if it did stay at season three. But here's hoping that it gets renewed because uh, we need... We need to top that 11-minute fight scene. We gotta go further. Like, sorry, Daredevil, you're gonna have to keep upping the ante every season. So, be happy to see what that looks like. So that is where I'm gonna end the podcast today. Uh, thank you for listening. I hope I uh, kept it a little bit shorter this time. Um, but if you like this review, or if you want me to talk about any other movies or shows, if you want to talk about this one... Uh, just leave some comments, either through Anchor, through Facebook, however you want to get a message or comments to me about your thoughts on this show or any other stuff that I've talked about, please feel free to let me know, uh, and I would love to discuss it. I would love to bring it up on uh, other podcasts, because uh, I want this to be more of a discussion. I want to hear what a lot of people think, because um, I think film discussion is important. I think if it's done right, we can do a lot of great things with it. So feel free to talk about it, let me know what you think, and I will see you next time.